Welcome or welcome back to the Bridge Churches podcast, where we are committed to building irresistible bridges between the unchurched and Jesus Christ. We are so glad that you're here and wherever you're listening from, we hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Well, listen, as always, it's so great to be with you today. We're kicking off a brand new series. Thankful you've chosen to spend some of your weekend with us. And as was mentioned earlier, to all you dads out there, happy Father's Day. We hope that you're celebrated and loved on. And ladies, uh, if you forgot that it's Father's Day, there's some time after the service. Hopefully you get to shoppers or something that's open and you can, you can take care of that. It's usually never the ladies that forget though. It's always us guys, right? We, we, we never remember that. So that's why we use social media and other things. To remind you, uh, for those of you on the other side of that camera, you're joining us online, a special hello to you. Thank you for joining us wherever you're from. And if you're watching later on demand, whenever this is for you. And uh, for those of you that are joining us for the first time today, uh, my name is Scott and there are many of us uh, and they rattle around in my head all the time. And uh, one of the things that I want you to know, whether this is your first time or you've been here forever, one of the things that I want you to know um, is that years ago, I, I discovered something and I don't know what the right term is, but I've heard it referred to uh, as the pastor's mystique. And it's not that people believe that their pastors are superheroes, but many people believe that their pastors are superhuman, that they don't struggle, they don't doubt, they always pray. People believe that pastors like everybody. And, and, that they, and, 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 that, and that they love the church, uh, people believe that. And again, it's not that people believe that pastors are, are perfect, um, but people believe and expect that their pastors are better than the average person right? Uh, it's this thing that, they, that their marriage, you know, church members want to believe that pastors' marriages are always strong and that their faith never falters and that they're virtually without sin. And uh, I'd like to tell you that all that's true, but it's not, at least, at least for me. Maybe it is for other pastors, but it's, it's not for me. And so what I want to do in this series and my hope in this series is I want to share, I just want to confess, I want to be honest, I want to share with you some things that I struggle with that over the next few weeks, I'm gonna share some things that cause me to question. I'm gonna share some struggles and some fears. This series is gonna be raw and real. It won't be reverent or religious. <laughs> and my hope is that you'll have just a little bit, a little bit of grace uh, for me as we look at the scriptures together and discover what the Lord has to say. Not to you, this isn't for you. This is all about me. And so we're gonna look at what the scriptures and what the Lord has to say uh, to me. Are you ready? <laughs> It's going to be a long series, Matt. Uh, all right, here's my first confession. I still owe Columbia House for the 30 CDs I got for one cent in 1995. Um, there are those of you who are laughing and others of you are like, what's a Columbia House? And, 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 I, and, I, and I totally get that. In fact, there are many of you who have no idea what a CD is. And, and so now I, I've got to kind of take some time and confess that I feel really, really old uh, right now. And, uh, but, but it's just interesting, you know, look, there's so many things that, that, I, that I could confess. And what I did just now, uh, if I can be real, if I, if I could be honest, what I did just now is what I often do. Um, I use humor as a defense mechanism. Now, when things get real, when things get tense, when things hit too close to home, I use humor as a defense mechanism, as a distraction. And oftentimes what I do in these moments is I, I make fun of myself. And the reason I do that is because if I make fun of myself, you won't. Oftentimes I make jokes about the fact that I don't have hair because I'm really insecure about it. And when you make fun of me, it really hurts. So I figure if I make fun of myself, you won't. And then we're just all good. Oftentimes I stand on this stage and I make self-deprecating comments all the time. And the reason that I do that, my real confession to you this morning as we launch into this series isn't that I owe Columbia House, which is true, but the real confession is this. I feel completely inadequate to be a pastor. There, I said it. I feel completely, absolutely inadequate to be a pastor. And, and those words, those words, they, they're, they're, just a, they're just a brief glimpse into the depth of my insecurity. The truth is, I, I feel insecure about everything. I feel insecure as a leader. I feel insecure as a husband, as a father, as a friend. And, and come to think of it, I've felt inadequate and insecure about just about every aspect of my life for my entire life. Which is funny because, you know, on the outside, and I've been told this many, many times, from the outside looking in, people think that I've got it all together, which is hilarious to me, right? I mean, I'm leading a growing church, so I must be full of energy and creativity and spiritual maturity and all those things. My wife, Lisa, 
uh, she tells me all the time, and she'd probably tell you, Scott, she says this all the time. She's like, Scott, if, if people knew how insecure you really are, they'd be shocked because you always seem so confident, right? That's what she says to me. And I've had people over the years compliment my, my leadership, wisdom. Some people compliment my preaching, which is really nice. But what they don't know, in fact, what you don't know is that I feel like a scared little boy trying to make it through another week. And I feel that way all, and I mean all the time. I've been haunted by feelings of insecurity for as long as I can remember. And a lot of people, um, they, they wouldn't know this, but, but, but you wouldn't know this, but people, they've, they've spoken, they've articulated these inadequacies in my life, the ones that I've felt and been certain of, they've, they've spoken them for my entire life. This isn't just in my head. You know, my father, he abandoned our family. <laughs> Happy Father's Day. My father abandoned our family when I was four years old. And even though everybody that was left in my life tried to convince me that it wasn't my fault, that it had nothing to do with me and that I was okay and that I was enough, I'm telling you, after years and years and years from childhood into my teen, teen years, trying to find him and trying to establish and build a relationship with him and try to just, hey, I wanna have a relationship with you. And after years and years and years and years and years of him not reciprocating those attempts, even though they told me it wasn't my fault, I started to believe it was them that got it wrong and actually I was right and it did have something to do with me, that I wasn't enough for him. I wasn't good enough for him to want to have a relationship with me. And throughout all those years, his actions and his lack of words assured me that I was right, that I wasn't enough, that I wasn't good enough. And then there were so many people that came in and out of my life throughout those years, those developmental years early on and then through all my teen years and young adulthood that they articulated and they were glad to articulate all my shortcomings and all my inadequacies. Some of you know that uh, when I was studying to become a pastor, um, one of the deans at the school that I attended, he literally, this is true, he brought me into his office, he sat me down and he looked at me across his big old desk and he said, you should really consider another career choice. He, he looked me right in the eye, he said, no one is gonna take you seriously, your words seriously, or your philosophy of ministry, seriously. No church, this is what he said to me, no church is ever gonna hire you as a lead pastor. And from that moment on, those words stung and I've carried those words and I've tried to, over the last number of years, I've tried to prove him wrong. And as hard as I've tried and as hard as I've worked and as driven as I am and people that know me would tell you that I am that, the truth is that, that I've never been able to measure up and people have reminded me of that time and time and time again. Four years ago, when I came into this role as lead pastor, I succeeded somebody that was taken seriously. I succeeded my friend, my pastor, my father-in-law, Alan Summers. And when he rode off into the sunset, he cast a huge shadow. He left some really big shoes to fill and I was convinced I was not gonna be able to fill them. And I remember during that transition period into the first couple years in this role, people were so quick to assure me that I was right. I had, I don't think in those first couple years in this role, I don't think a week went by where I didn't get an email or have a conversation where somebody reminded me that I'm not Alan Summers. I would get email after email from people telling me they were leaving the church and the reason they were leaving the church because I was too much of this or not enough of that. A lot of times it was about my preaching and I'm not Alan because he was so good. Oh, he was good. And if you were a part of this church during the time he was the lead pastor here, week after week after week, so polished. He had so much experience. Like I, I put him on a pedestal. I look up to him so much for so many different reasons and in so many different ways. Even today, I have, I've got to be honest and say that I get emails all the time if people are gracious enough to let me know that they're leaving the church. And they'll tell me in their email the reason they're leaving more often than not it's because of who I am. It's because of what I'm not or who I'm not. And uh, every time I read those words, I hear my Dean's words. And every time I read those words, I see Alan's shoes and I think maybe they're all right. And I feel completely inadequate to be a pastor. It's amazing how quickly for me, how quickly and how completely I can feel inadequate. And I know you, are, you may not be a pastor. You may know of a pastor, may, may have a friend who's a pastor. Maybe you grew up in a pastor's home. I don't know. Um, but even if you're not a pastor, my guess is you probably know exactly what I'm talking about, right? Like maybe for you, it's when you see somebody who's financially successful and you look at them and all their accomplishments and you think, what's wrong with me? 
Why can't I seem to get a handle on this finance thing? Like, why is it I struggle so much? And how is it there seem to be so easily successful? Or maybe it's for you, it's when you drive through a neighborhood of homes and you're driving around and you're looking around going, what in the world do people do for a living to be able to live in this neighborhood? Like, I am never gonna get here. I'm never moving in here. Like, I am never gonna be able to live up to this, accomplish this, have this. And you just feel really insecure about who you are and what you're not and what you don't have or will never seem to have. Or maybe you go to your friend's house, your girlfriend, and you love her and you go over there and you go to her house and you walk in and it's immediately annoying because everything in the house is where it should be. The kids are behaved, right? And it's not just about how order, like you walk in and the first thing you notice is how good the house smells. Like your house stinks like dirty laundry. Then you walk into this house and it smells like a fresh baked apple pie. And you're thinking, how does she do this? Like the house is clean, everybody's behaved, everything is in order. And on top of that, she had the time to bake a pie. Like, and then to top it off, it's not just about how everything looks and about how the house smells, it's her. You look at her and she looks like she actually was expecting you to come and she's dressed nicely and her hair's done and her nails are done and you love her because she's your friend, but you hate her because everything about her tells you what you're not and what you can't seem to get a handle on. And you, you're sitting there with your friend, but you feel so insecure and inadequate about who you are and what you're not able to do and what you can't seem to get a handle on in your life. Maybe you're a student Right, and you got a friend who is not only popular, but really, really smart. And they, we have names for people like that where I come from. Uh, we don't like people like that. They're like the dual threat, right? Smart and popular, right? It seems like no matter how hard you try, no matter how hard you work, no matter how much you study, you know, just to get B's and C's, you've got this friend who doesn't study at all and they get A's, right? And you could just get sick of here, oh, get another A, right? It just drives you nuts. And, it, and they don't seem to even care. Or, or you, they, you go to the prom on your own and they got seven invitations and you walk in and the first thing, of course, you're thinking is, I hate this stupid dance. But the second thing you're thinking more importantly is, what's wrong with me? Why does everyone want to be with them? What's wrong with me? Why aren't I good enough to even get an invitation from them? It, it, it just, it's just different. And maybe, I don't know if this is true for you, but sometimes, and if, you're, if you call yourself a Christian, you've been around uh, church world or, you know, been a Christian for any length of time, maybe you've experienced something like this, but there are times where we can feel spiritually inadequate. You ever felt that way? Especially if you, you, you probably have, if you have that friend that's like a super Christian, they're really annoying, right? Uh, you, you get around them, maybe you're talking in the lobby after a service or you're in a circle with them and you're having a conversation and all of a sudden out of nowhere, they go, that reminds me of something I read in Second Chronicles chapter 12, verse 14. And everybody's looking around like, what? And then to top it off, they quote it. And you're thinking, how do they do that? How do they know that? Second Chronicles, that's a book in the Bible, right? I don't even know. Or to make matters worse, they pray. They pray out loud. They pray out loud and the whole time they're praying, you're thinking God must be up in heaven and go, whoa, that's a really good prayer, <laughs> right? Or make matters worse, they don't pray. They ask you to pray. That's the worst, right? They ask you to pray. You're like, I don't think so, <laughs> right? Because what, it's not... It's not that you don't want God to hear your prayer. You don't want them to hear your prayer. For some reason, you care more about what they think about your faith than what God thinks about your faith. And they make us feel insecure about this relationship with God and it just messes us. If you've ever felt that way in any area of your life, I want you to know, even though I'm a pastor, I completely, completely relate. I know how frustrating it is. There's those people in our lives who are really prideful, right? Whether it's about you know, their spiritual lives or some other aspect of their lives and they just have it all together, right? Like they live uprightly and they're right about everything and everyone else is wrong or morally inferior. Do you know somebody like that? No? Okay. Well, these self-righteous, overconfident know-it-alls, right? They're, they're a real pain in the butt, aren't they? And if you're a self-righteous, overconfident know-it-all, you just got probably got offended at the fact that I said but in church. And, and, I, and, I, and I get that. So uh, I should confess quickly uh, that I said that for you on purpose. Um, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. The, there are so many people in our lives who would present us with a resume full of victories in their faith, in their finances, in their career, in their families. But I want you to know, I've got to confess to you that my resume, no, it's full of defeats, failures, 
self-doubt, fears, blunders, and insecurities. And since I'm freely confessing and you came out for this, you probably just came, you're like, what is he gonna say, right? (laughs) But since I'm freely confessing, I wanna share with you a few reasons why I feel completely inadequate to be a pastor. In fact, I'm gonna share four. Four reasons why I feel completely inadequate to be a pastor. And who knows, even though you're not a pastor, maybe you'll be able to identify with one or more of these. The first reason I feel completely inadequate to be a pastor is because I don't know enough. I don't know enough. I think probably the first time, this is outside of ministry, but I think the first time I really, the the deepest moment in my life where I realized I'm not good enough because I don't know enough is the moment where Jeremy mentioned it a little bit ago, where, where I held my two children, Emma and Parker, in my arms for the first time. Oh man, I was like, the minute that happened, the minute I held them, they're 12 years apart. And this happened for me both times. I held them in my hand for the first time. And I'm like, I have killed every plant I have ever touched. And now I'm holding this precious child. I don't have what it takes to be the dad this little one needs me to be. I don't know enough. I don't know how to feed them, how to change them. I don't know what to do with the rash, diaper rash or any other kind of rash. I don't know what to do with a fever. I don't know when it's the time to take them to the hospital. Like I don't know how to deal with a skin knee or you know a broken bone. I don't know how to not be a helicopter parent at the trampoline. Oh, the trampoline. I don't know how to deal. Is our insurance update? I don't know. I don't know enough. What am I gonna do when they get old enough where they can talk and they ask me, who made God? I don't know. I don't know enough. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say about the birds and the bees. I don't know what to say when they discover that people can be cruel. What am I going to do? I don't know enough. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what to say when a boy breaks her heart. I don't know what to do. I don't know enough. I don't have a clue what to say if he marries a girl I don't like or heaven forbid he marries a woman that Lisa doesn't like. Like I have no idea. And I know you don't struggle with that. I know you don't struggle like that, but I got to tell you, just saying those words, I'm sweating buckets up here, like happy Father's Day to me. I do not know enough to be the dad my beautiful children need me to be. And see, even deeper than that, I feel completely inadequate to be a pastor because I don't know enough. As I I shared a few moments ago when I went to school, I, I, I didn't grow up in a church home. I didn't grow up as a Christian. I didn't become a Christian until I was in college. And even though I had known of the Bible, I had never really read the Bible and so just as an example, you know, I'm walking around campus and there's a book in the Old Testament um, that the, the title of the book is spelled J-O-B. It's supposed to be pronounced Job. You can imagine my embarrassment. I'm walking around campus talking to some classmates about how I've been reading in the book of Job, right? And I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, didn't they teach you anything? Which leads me to another confession. I did graduate, but not because I paid attention right? Like I, I, I jumped through all the hoops that I needed to graduate. And now all these years later, I'm trying to catch up for what I didn't get then. And I work really hard. People that know me would tell you, I, I try really, really hard. I study really hard. Greek, Hebrew, the Old Testament, the New Testament. I've read the Bible and read it every year, front to back, including the maps. Every year I read through the Bible, even though I read it every year and have been doing so for so many years. Every time I do, every time I read it, it's new. And even though I work really hard and even though I study really hard, there are moments where I'm in a conversation with people from this church even, and we're having a conversation like, yeah, um, Scott, do you remember the descendants of Zebulun in the book of Numbers? And I'm looking at them like smiling, like what's a Zebulun? Like I, I don't know enough. And my guess is I'm not the only one that even if you aren't a pastor, my guess is for you, there's probably an area in your life where you just feel completely inadequate because you don't know enough. Maybe you don't feel like you know enough to have the position that you have in your career and you feel like a fake and a fraud and every time you're like, I hope nobody finds out that I have no clue how I got this job and I have no clue what I'm doing. I do not know enough. Maybe you feel inadequate because you don't know enough to be the the husband or the wife you want to be, right? The spouse you want to be, the the parent that you want to be. You don't know enough to be where you want to be financially. You don't know enough to have the faith that you admire, that you see lived out in other people. Like I know probably intellectually that I'm not the only one, but that doesn't negate the fact that I both still have these feelings as a pastor and the fact that I hate that I have these feelings as a pastor. I feel completely inadequate as a pastor because I know I can't do enough. doesn't matter how much I do. It is never, ever, ever enough. And nobody is more aware of that than me. I'm telling you, the more this church grows, the more and more people that come, the more and more needs are represented in this community. 
And the more I want to know about those needs and care about the needs that are represented, and it doesn't matter how much I do to try to help people, it is never, ever enough. And see, the, the, the blessing in ministry, and this is true, the blessing in ministry is that so many people, like many of you, invite people like me, as odd as that is to me. You have invited me and others of us on our, on our staff team, you invite us into the inside track of your life. That you bring us in into the biggest hurdles and the biggest obstacles and the questions that you're wrestling with and the challenges that you're facing. And you invite us in, mainly because you think it's free counseling. And, and you invite us in and you're like, I need help. Right, you get to that point where you're almost at the end of your rope and you don't know where else to go and that's when you're thankful you know that there's a, and you, you reach out and you're like, hey, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. I don't know what's going on. I don't know how I'm gonna make it. And you reach out and genuinely, the blessing of ministry is that you reach out and the gift is, and that God has given is that we actually care. I actually care. I didn't get into ministry because of the paycheck, believe it or not, right? I got into ministry because it was my heart's desire to help people. I wanted to serve people. I wanted to walk alongside of people and help them to see who God is and who and what he desires to be in their lives. I didn't want to just help them through difficult circumstances. I wanted them to see God and to see that he is with them in the midst of those circumstances. That's the blessing. But the curse, the curse is that it's never enough. It is never enough. And it doesn't matter how much you do for people, all people see is what you didn't do for them. And it's heavy. Ministry is something you never turn off. You never, ever turn it off. If you ever want to know what it's, just talk to somebody who's in ministry. It's never, actually, better yet, talk to the spouse of somebody who's in ministry. Because I can tell you there are so many times at home, it could be Christmas morning, and I'm staring off into the distance, and Lisa will go, Where are you? Where are you? I'm here. I'm with you. And I'm thinking about the things that are going on or not going on in your life. And I'm wondering, Lord, how is it that I can help them? What can I do? How can we encourage them? How can we support them? It's not my problems that keep me up at night. It's yours. My wife would be the first person to tell you that I stare at the ceiling every night and have a hard time getting to sleep because I don't know how to help. And I don't know what to do. And see, here's the thing. I want to. I'm not saying this because I want you to like, we're never emailing Scott again right? That is not my heart. My heart is for you. And my heart is in my heart. I know that as much as I can do, it will never be enough. And I don't know, maybe, maybe you know what that feels like, even though you might not be a pastor. Maybe as much as you do, it just never seems to be enough. And you go, 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 go. And you juggle, 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 juggle and you're spinning those plates and you're trying so hard to keep them all from crashing. And the more you do for this group of people over here, the more you're aware you're not doing enough for this group of people over here. And when you try to keep those things spinning and then you run over here, you realize, oh, oh I gotta go back. And you just back and forth and it's never enough. And then you know what happens? No, you don't know this. What happens is you're doing all these things for all these people and then you go home and the people that you love the most get the least of you. And then you have those conversations where you reach out to the pastor because you've done so much for other people. You've neglected your family and now your family's on the rocks and you don't know what to do. Yeah, I've been there. More often than I'd like to admit, but I need to confess, man, I can't ever seem to do enough. The third reason I feel inadequate to be a pastor is because I'm more aware than anybody. I don't feel I'm good enough. I don't feel that I'm good enough. Like, I mean, you know, a, a, a respectable pastor should be righteous, right? Right, no bad thoughts, no bad words, you know, no anger, no jealousy, just, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, like Christ-likeness, right? The people I respect and admire, especially the pastors that I respect and admire, they got it all together, Oh, they drive me crazy. They got it all together. They say all the right things. They behave the right way. They got their spiritual act together. That's them. And then there's me, right? There's me. I've had so many shameful moments in my life. I mean, as an example, a couple weeks ago, I came in early on a Sunday morning, which I do all the time. I'm usually here between, I don't know, 4.30 and 5 o'clock, um, getting ready for the day. And, and I, I come in on Sunday mornings, like I, I have a routine. People that know me would tell you I have a routine on Sunday mornings that I'm pretty diligent about. 
And so one of the things I come in and I walk around the auditorium before anybody's here and I pray over the seats that you're gonna sit in and I pray over the cameras for all the people that are at home or at cottages or wherever you are watching and just pray that the Lord would be with us and speak to you and you'd hear him, not me. And I do that and then I go up into my office and um, play some ungodly music to get myself hyped up. And, and then I, looked at, I look at my notes and I just, you know, is there any you know, things that I wanna change or cut out and do all that? And then I come in, one of the things I do um, is I check my slides because you can't preach good if you don't have slides. And so I, you know, I go through the slides, are there any additions, subtractions, got to make any revisions? I want to make sure all that's in place before you arrive or before you log on. And this one Sunday morning, a few weeks ago, I came in and my slides were gone. Now, this is a big deal to me. They were there on Thursday. That's the deadline that I have to get them in the computer or Ryan's coming after me. And if you know Ryan, Ryan's a jujitsu, I don't know, I don't know, tangerine belt. I don't even know what belt he has at this point, but he's big into jujitsu. And even though I'm bigger than him, like he could hurt me. And so I'm like, I'll have the slides in on Thursday. And so somehow, some way between Thursday and Sunday, the slides are there, but then they weren't. And I'd like to tell you that that's the worst thing that happened that morning, but it's not. The worst thing that happened that morning is the word that instinctively came into my, my brain in an instant, in a split second, traveled from my brain throughout my body, coordinated with the action in my lungs, my larynx, my tongue, my lips, and it came out in a really bad word. Now, when I say really bad word, I mean a really, 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 really bad word. I said a big bad word, and now you're thinking, what word did you say? (laughs) I'm gonna confess a lot of things in this series. That is not one of them, but the point is, The point is, is I'm sitting there in that sound booth wrestling with this idea that I just, with the mouth that God has given me to proclaim his word to you, how is it that such filth can come out of the same mouth? And see, we laugh about it kind of a little bit. But in that moment, I felt like I feel so, I'm just not good enough to be a pastor. The fourth reason on my resume for why I don't feel adequate to be a pastor is that the, the bottom line is I've just made too many mistakes. I just have. And I think people would be gracious and forgive this, this sin in my life before I became a follower of Jesus, became a pastor. And so that's, hopefully you, you, can, you can do that. Um, so let's just look at the sin in my life after becoming a, a follower of Christ and after becoming a pastor. And for you, maybe you'd look at it at first glance and you think, oh, that's not too bad, but a closer examination, you might think differently. Anger, jealousy, greed, a critical heart, gossip, lust, ungodly competitiveness. That's just the headlines. I mean, I I can go on all day if you got the time. I mean, and I look at this list of my sin and it just affirms my earlier conclusion. I'm not good enough. I am not good enough for God to use. And you may not be a pastor, but maybe you feel the same way. Too many doubts, not enough knowledge. Too many mistakes, too much sin, and not enough forgiveness to get past it. And see all these things in our lives, they build up a wall. They build up a wall between us and God, between us and what God has put in us to do. And if you've ever felt that way in any way, in any area of your life, I want you to know I get it. And here's the thing, and forget everybody else for a minute and just lean in and listen. If that's you, it's me. And here's the thing that we miss. See, when you and I, when we focus on our inadequacies, as I do all the time, I'm just being real. No one's more aware of them than me. But when we focus on our inadequacies, who is it we're focusing on? It's us, right? See, the danger in that is when I focus in on my inadequacies, I blind myself to the presence of God. When I I focus on me and my shortcomings and my inadequacies, I'm focusing on myself and I blind myself to the presence of God. When I focus in on my inadequacies, when when I do that, who I fail to see is the Lord. And what I quickly, easily, and understandably forget is God, while I don't have enough grace for myself, God has enough forgiveness to forgive any sin. And even though I don't have enough strength in and of myself to overcome all my inadequacies, when I focus on him, I realize he has enough power to work despite my inadequacies. And see, if you struggle like I do, 
I'm a professional Christian and I struggle with this. I fail to see God and I focus on him. If that's you, oh, I want you to know, I get it. And with the remainder of our time together, my hope, my prayer has been, as we lead into today, my hope, my prayer for you, if you can relate to me at all, my hope is that my story wouldn't cause you to go, oh, poor Scott. That's not the point of this. The reason I'm confessing this is because I want you to know that I struggle and my hope is that maybe because you know I struggle, you might have grace for yourself because you struggle and that you'd stop comparing yourself to somebody else because I do it too and the only person we're focusing on is ourselves and not the Lord. And so what I'm hoping right now is that as I share with just maybe out of the scriptures, just a few insecure, blundering, sinful people, as we look at a few moments into their stories, my hope is that their stories and mine will speak to you the way these stories in the scriptures have. When a king named Uzziah died, the nation of Israel, they panicked. And in that time, during that time, there was a man, there was actually a prophet, um, and he began seeking the Lord. And when he did, he had an unusual life-changing vision. His vision was he saw God like high and lifted up and he saw angelic beings like singing praises and bowing down, worshiping this holy God. In this incredible weird moment, he he was sober, (laughs) but this moment just seemed like so bizarre. It was just overwhelming him and he had this glimpse into a holy God. And when he did, he lamented. Here's what he said. Here's what he said. Woe to me, woe to me, I am ruined. I am ruined, watch this. For I am a man of unclean lips. Apparently he had a problem with his slides too. Uh, I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. Like, like notice, this is Isaiah, the prophet. And in this moment, he becomes incredibly aware of his impurity, of his inadequacies. He has one glimpse into the holiness of God, his unrighteousness, Isaiah's unrighteousness is staring him right in the face. He can literally visibly see his shortcomings, his sin, his inadequacies. And this is an overwhelming moment for him. And see, the thing is, is you've, if you've ever felt inadequate in any area of your life, I want you to know you are not alone. It is comforting for me to read the story of the prophet Isaiah to realize I am not alone in these feelings. Doesn't remove the fact that I hate that I have these feelings, but I'm not alone in these feelings. And so if you've ever felt like you're not good enough for God to use, if you've ever felt that, I've got good news for you. You're wrong. You're wrong. I'm wrong. It's not about how good we are. It's about the goodness of our God. And so if you've got breath in your lungs, you still have a story to tell and you're a leading candidate for God to use. And so what you should do right now is exactly what Isaiah is about to do. You confess your inadequacies. You don't internalize them and try to hide them and overcompensate for them. You don't use humor to skirt around them, which I continually do and I'm reminded and have to just confess to the Lord, I did it again, God, right? You confess it to the Lord and you allow him to do a work in you and to continue to renew you and redeem you. And then you live with a willingness to be used by him. That's what he did. The one, this is what happens. The one, um, when this happens, then one of the seraphim, seraphim is a Jewish term for an angel. The one of the seraphim flew to me. This is Isaiah telling his story with a live coal in his hand. This sounds good. uh, Which he had taken with tongs uh, from the altar. Fun fact, when I first typed this in, I actually typed in thongs um, from the altar. So I, I have a real problem with my slides. Might need to delegate that actually. Um, but it happens. It'll go back. Uh, t- tongs from the altar. So basically what happens is this angel comes down. And so there was an altar where animals uh, were, were sacrificed as a way of atoning for sin. This was a part of the old covenant, the old law. This was a part of their tradition. This is what they did to get right with God. And so Isaiah sees this angel come down and take a coal from this altar and put it on his mouth. Fun. Maybe we'll start doing that, right? I don't know. There's something to be said for the New Testament. When it touched my mouth, when it touched my mouth, it said, see, this has touched your lips. This is really important. If you don't get anything from this, take this away. Your guilt is taken away and your sins are forgiven. 
Now, this is really important. This is what the angel tells Isaiah has happened. But there's a difference between knowing what has happened and how what has happened affects how you feel. You notice there's a difference? Isaiah knew in this moment, he was told in this moment, your guilt is taken away and you have been forgiven. But you have to ask yourself, if you put yourself in Isaiah's sandals, do you think he felt forgiven? Do you think he felt pure? Do you think this changed what happened? Do you think it changed? No, because you can have an encounter with God and that doesn't necessarily mean it changes the way you feel about yourself. You can know you were forgiven and not feel forgiven. There's a big difference. So Isaiah, I'm guessing, still feels inadequate in this moment. And yet after this encounter with this angel and what had happened, the Lord speaks to the forgiven man and he says, whom shall I send? Whom shall I, like in light of all this, like the Lord was trying to send Isaiah. He wanted to use Isaiah. And so he says, whom shall I send? And then this is weird. And who, go back, and who will go for us? Like this is a glimpse into the Trinity. We don't see the word Trinity in the scriptures, but this is where we get this idea. Who's us? Like, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And so there's this encounter with Isaiah and the Lord is saying, who are we gonna send? Who are we gonna send? And as inadequate as Isaiah, I'm sure felt, he said, here am I, here am I, send me. Not because of who I am, but because of who I've seen you to be, send me. And that's what God did. And God used him in a powerful way. We're still talking about it. When I think of Moses, um, I think of a courageous leader, depending on your age, you might think of someone who looked like Charlton Heston, I don't know. Um, But I, I picture a courageous leader full of determination to do God's will. But at the same time, if you strip away all the accomplishments and you just look at the man, he's no different than many of us. He's certainly no different than me. And the thing that I love most about Moses's story is that we see that God loves to use people who are unsure of themselves. God called Moses and he says, I want you to be the one who's gonna lead my people, the nation of Israel, out of captivity, out of bondage and slavery. I want you to lead them to the promised land and to try to instill more confidence in Moses as to who God was and what he could do. He did all kinds of incredible, amazing miracles. And for some reason, Moses, instead of focusing on the Lord and the power that God put on display, instead Moses did what I often do, maybe what you often do. He zeroed in on himself and his own inadequacies. God did all these incredible, unbelievable, amazing things. He called Moses and this not yet leader confesses to the Lord. And here's what he says. Oh Lord, I have never, have you ever used those words? I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. And then he goes on, he says, I am slow of speech and tongue. Basically what he's saying is, I'm not good enough. You got the wrong guy. You you should get somebody else. I am a bad speaker. In fact, I stutter. Not a good idea. Get a better communicator. There's lots of them around. Pick somebody else. I'm just gonna mess this thing up. I'm only gonna make things worse. There's no way, I'm not, I'm not good enough. I don't have what it takes. That's what Moses said. And I hear this all the time. When I sit down with people and talk about things I see in them, things that I believe for them, things that I think God might be leading them to, all of a sudden, all their insecurities come up. Like, oh, I could never do that. What if somebody asked me something I don't know? I don't think I could, I don't think I could lead that team. I don't think I could host that circle. I don't know enough. I'll probably make a mess of things. I'll probably make things worse. Like, I don't have what it takes. I'm not good enough. And I can't really blame people for saying that because I felt that way my entire life. I felt insecure just about every aspect of my life for my entire life. And so what I've done, and I don't know, you don't do this, but what I do is I create these standards for myself that I think if I can just do that, it'll be enough because I don't think who I am is good enough. And so I push and I push, or sometimes I don't do anything because I don't feel like I'm never gonna get to that standard anyway, so why even try? And see, the danger in that is if you wait until you feel adequate, you'll never be available. If you wait until you feel adequate, you will never be available because the truth is, at least for me, I've never felt adequate. I've never felt fully, completely adequate. And see, what I'm learning And what God is continually showing me is this, that my greatest ability is availability. 
And when God calls you, he will prepare you. And more often than not, it's with on-the-job training. You're gonna make a lot of mistakes along the way. It happens. But with and in each step, God is with you and God is guiding you. And you can trust him. God spoke to Moses' greatest insecurity, his fear of public speaking. He, he spoke right into that insecurity with a bunch of probing questions. Here's what God says to Moses. Who gave man his mouth? And he's talking right to Moses. Who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Who is it, Moses? Is it not I, he says, the Lord? Basically what God was saying to Moses in this moment is what he says to me, maybe what he says to you. Who are you looking at? You? Or me? Who are, your, who, who's, who are you fixing your eyes on? Who are you paying attention to? Who are you focusing, you or me? I want you to focus on me. And now that you are, he gives him the command. He says, go, go. And I love this. Then he gets the promise. God says, I will, not I might. Because sometimes I wonder. God says, I will help you speak and I will teach you what to say. God, in other words, was basically saying, I will work in your life in spite of your inadequacies. In fact, more often than not, I will work in the areas of your life where you are most inadequate. Why? Great question. And I hate the answer. But God himself said it. Not Moses, not Isaiah, not some other preacher or prophet. God himself said it to the apostle Paul. See, what happened was um, the Apostle Paul, we, we talk about him all the time because we wouldn't be here today as a church were it not for Jesus, of course, and then Paul. Paul was the person who took the gospel, the message, the truth of Jesus Christ. He took it to the known world. He planted and started churches all over the known world at that time, the Mediterranean Rim, and people were hearing about the gospel, Jesus Christ, because of Paul. We're here today in large part because of what he did all the way back then. And, and Paul had this thing in his life that he referred to as a thorn in his flesh. Scholars and historians aren't really sure exactly what it was. There's all kinds of debate around what that was, but Paul himself referred to it as a thorn in his flesh. And one day he was talking to the Lord about this and he was basically saying, I'm not worthy to be used. And here's the reason, like you, you should get somebody else. And God spoke to Paul and here's what he said. My grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. He didn't say, no, you're wrong, Paul. You are completely inadequate. No, no, he said, yeah, you're right. You're not enough, but my grace is sufficient for you and for my power is made perfect in your weakness. My power is made perfect in your weakness, in your inadequacies. That's where my power is made perfect. Where are you the weakest in your life? I know where I'm weakest, but where are you weakest in your life? Where are you most unsure? Where are you most unprepared? Where are you most insecure and inadequate? Is it speaking? Is it leading? Is it teaching? Is it praying? Is it forgiveness? Is it parenting? What area of your life? God's grace and God's presence and power is what you need. It's what I need. And the reason why it's what we need is because if it weren't that way and anything good happened in and through our lives, we would foolishly, naively think it was because of us. And if I weren't inadequate, I would think that any good thing, in my arrogance and pride, I would be foolish to think that any good thing that happens in this church is because of me. And so God says, oh, I'm going to make you so inadequate. You can't be fooled into thinking that. That the only way something good is going to happen is because of who I am and because I am with you. And my grace is sufficient and my power is made perfect in your weakness. That's why. That's why you're so inadequate. It's so that you can see me for who I am. And then when something great happens, your faith will go deeper because you see that I am with you and that I am faithful and that I can be trusted. I've been teaching the Bible for 23 years now and I'm not great at it. Never will be. Don't get me wrong. I, I try hard. I study and I prepare a lot, but I'm never going to be great at it. I'm just not. So I bring what I can. I give you everything I've got. 
And here's what I've discovered over these last 23 years, and I'm discovering it more and more and more every single week. The thing that I've discovered most is, and if you feel inadequate in any area of your life, here's what I want you to know. God's grace is sufficient for me, and it can be for you. And his power is made perfect in my weakness, and his power can be made perfect in your weakness. There's this thing, probably the greatest thing about preaching, the thing I love the most about preaching is this thing, um, I call it the God factor. I, I don't, there's probably a better term for it. I just can't think of one. I call it the God factor. What happens, and this happens all the time, is I'll talk to somebody or I'll get an email from somebody and they'll tell me that something I said, uh, you know, when you said this or when you said that, it really spoke to me, really changed my life, you know? I, I hear that and, and, and it's amazing when I hear those things and, and I, I love it. And the reason I love it is because the words people quote are not the words that I said. I, I think that's hilarious. And I tell them, listen, I assure you I'm not that good. I am not. I assure you that what has happened is the Holy Spirit of God has spoken to you. He took my weak words and he intimately personalized them for you. And it's not Scott you heard today. It's the Lord. And you heard from the right person. It's not about me and what I can say. It's that the Lord has spoken to you. And that's what God does. That's what he says to me. And that's how he works in and through me. And I believe that he desires and can do the same in and through you. I have a responsibility to bring what I can. And that's important. You have to bring what you can. Some people sit around doing nothing and they're like, oh yeah, I don't know how God's going to do it, but God's going to do it. I'm like, that's not how God works. You have a responsibility to do what you can and to bring what you can. But there's a part where you do all that and then you let it go and you wait and see what God does. When my willingness intersects with his faithfulness, lives are changed. And the same can happen in and through you. And so my question is simply this. Do you feel like you're not enough? Do you continually hear your own voice tell you you're not enough? Do you constantly hear the voice of others from your past tell you that you're not enough? And do circumstances echo that sentiment? Do you question yourself at times? Do you stare at the ceiling and wonder? Do you look in the mirror and hate who you see? Do you feel inadequate? I want you to know you're not alone. And the good news is that you're not alone, but better news than that is that God can use you, not when you're ready, but when you're willing. Not because of who you are, but because of who he is. And his grace, oh, his grace is sufficient for me and it's sufficient for you. And his power is made perfect. Get that, it's perfect in your inadequacy. And if you feel inadequate, here's the thing that I'm learning more and more and I wanna leave you with this before I let you go before you go back into your world and before you go back into all the things you wrestle with, whatever they are for you, if you feel inadequate in any way in your life, here's what I want you to know. God can work through your inadequacies easier than he can overcome your pride. And the thing that I've learned more and more is that when I focus in on my inadequacies, it's actually, this is kind of counterintuitive, but it's actually pride that causes us to do that. Because it's about me. And I want what I am and what I'm doing and how I'm going to, like it's me and how I feel and what I want and what I feel like it, that's a prideful thing. Pride doesn't necessarily mean arrogance. Pride is an internal focus and God can overcome your inadequacies easier than he can overcome your pride and my pride. It is not about me. It's about discovering who he is and how he can use me despite those things in my life and in your life. God will use you not when you're ready, but when you're willing. God will use you not because of who you are, but because of who he is. His grace is sufficient and his power is made perfect in our weaknesses. And so I have one last question for you. I've confessed. What about you? Can you relate? Do you feel inadequate? I'm not gonna ask you to come up on the stage and tell everybody what it means for you, I'm gonna ask you to do something different, but equally courageous. If you feel inadequate in any way, in an air, any area of your life, 
I want you to stand with me and I want to pray with you. In the safety of this place, forget what people are going to think. But if you would stand with me in this moment as someone who feels insecure and inadequate in every, in any way, would you stand with me? I want to pray with you. I want to pray for you. Yeah, see. So let's, in the safety of this moment, and in the honesty of this place, and in this space, and in this time, could we just take a few minutes in your own words and in your own way, do what Isaiah did, do what Moses did? Would you just confess your inadequacy to the Lord? Just pour your heart out. God, I see it too. God, I'm looking at me in this moment, but I confess. But God, I wanna experience your grace and I wanna experience your presence and I wanna experience your power and I wanna step out in a willingness to be used in whatever way by you. Would you just, in your own way, it doesn't have to sound righteous. The, The band is gonna come and we're gonna sing in a minute. But just in your own way, God, not enough but your grace is sufficient your power oh your power I want to experience your power in your presence in my life I need you to be the husband I need to be I need you to be the wife that I need to be to be the boyfriend the girlfriend the friend the co-worker the leader the boss I need you to be the parent. I need, I am not enough. I don't know enough. I'm not good enough. I've made too many. I need you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this moment to be with these beautiful people in this room and those at home. And God, I just pray for every single one. You know so intimately each person and each deficiency and your desire is to show yourself that you could be seen. Help us not to be blinded by ourselves anymore. Help us to open our eyes and see that you are with us, that you are for us, that you are faithful, that you are powerful and that you give us the gift of inadequacies so that we can discover the power of your presence. Help us to see that today and help us to walk out not with our heads bowed low, but with our head lifted high because you are walking with us. We have the power of the Holy God with us in all things, in all things. You are our savior and our defender in every day because of who you are is Father's Day. Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing together. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. If you have any questions, you're looking for ways to take your next step, please visit us on our website, bridgechurches.ca. Much love. God bless.